Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. We're doing an F1 News and Monaco preview show here. I'm joined today by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. I've uh, had my weekend off. I've watched absolutely no motorsport today, which might be the first time I've done that mid-motorsport season since I was about 12 years old. Good. So your mind is clear, ready to talk about some F1 news. Yeah, it's absolutely a wonderful time to go through and catch up on all the the off-track action that's been going on. There's certainly been a lot of it. And I absolutely spent this weekend gathering all of that information, not lying on the sofa, watching How I Met Your Mother. Shocking news. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by commentator Jake Sanson and numbers man Nick Alexander. Jake Sanson, the calendar has thrown up an orange feel. We're going to Zandervoort next season. I've looked at some onboards of Max Verstappen running around in a 2014 Red Bull. I'm not filled with anticipation. Very few breaking zones, very tight and twisty. Uh, everyone's kind of saying it's kind of Monaco without the walls. Can you give us any hope? Um, as long as they leave the gravel traps, then I don't have a real problem with us going to Zandvoort because I'm a traditionalist. I feel that gravel traps are way better than runoff uh, and uh, sausage curbs and whatever these new ideas they've come up with that genuinely haven't worked. Um, I think Zandvoort is going to be interesting. I have to say I'm not entirely convinced either. While I don't like Catalonia, I think replacing it for Zandvoort is going to be difficult because they seem to be going there for the fans, not for the racetrack. And I'm a little concerned that that's going to go wrong. Uh, Nick, before I continue, I've upset the chat room already. It's Zandvoort, not Zandervoort. 
apologies. I'm normally impeccable with my pronunciation, so uh, I'm, I'm so embarrassed that slipped through. Especially with Dutch, because it is such an easy language to, uh, <laughs> to pronounce. I, I just have to combat Jake a little bit here. You say they're not going for the track, they're going for the fans, as if that's wrong. Of of course they're going for the fans. There's a there's a certain young driver who seems to be really promising, who I, I think comes from that part of the world that has has a big following of people that want to go see him. Um, I, I watched the same onboard of of that driver. I I kind of thought the same thing. Um, twisty track, worried about overtaking possibilities, but I'm excited about the geography of it. It's you know it's a 40 minute bus ride from Amsterdam. How convenient is that? It seems like a great place to go racing. I seem to think really though that to go to a Formula One event for one driver is a little bit. I don't. I don't know if it should be just for one driver. I think there should be an entire commerce behind it. This is one of the reasons I've been so frustrated. We're going to places that don't really have a Formula One history and don't even have a motorsport heritage. Never mind uh, a Formula One heritage. We're going to get onto that again in a minute, of course, when we talk about the calendar. But I don't know. The thing is, if you go to a rotten track, people are going to resonate with the rotten track, not the fan experience. But Formula One is a business, first and foremost. And I think Nick's hit the nail on the head by saying it's absolutely right. They're going for the fans. And it's not yet confirmed that it's replacing Barcelona. Barcelona may still remain on uh, the calendar. But at the same time, since Fernando Alonso has, has gone, who's the big icon? They're not exactly taking to Carlos Sainz, are they? He's, he's not Alonso. That's just a, a plain fact. And from the changes that they are planning to make to the circuit. Um, yeah, they do want to retain that punishing nature of it, but they're definitely going to widen a few corners and try and maybe extend some of those breaking zones. The big thing they're going to do is change the final corner so that it's banked at 17 degrees. So they're going to increase the banking. So it's a bit more like the final corner of Brazil, for example, so that you can take it flat with DRS open, which should aid overtaking into Tarzan corner, the first corner. I mean that that all that all sounds great. Um, I really like Interlagos as a track. Maybe wouldn't want to personally uh, decide to to make that my destination race. But um, yeah, that final section is 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 fantastic. But I, I just have to argue with Jake again. I don't. Amsterdam is a is a European wide destination, if not a if not a global destination, and it's basically in in the greater Amsterdam area. They're trying to make. Formula One more urban. They're talking about you know getting rid of Silverstone and putting something in London. This is this is very much in line with their their playbook, I think. And it just whether you agree with it or not, it seems like it totally makes sense with what they seem to be trying to do. The difficulty we've made the point here is that we've already mentioned in the show that Formula One is a business first and foremost. We've already lost them. At the end of the day, you know whether you like it or not, we are in the entertainment business. It's a sport. First and foremost, the fact that we've already started calling it a business, you know, you've already lost the battle. You know, I've just come from the world, the European karting championships where the F1 stars of tomorrow come from. And it's a show. It's a spectacle. You go there because the racing's entertaining. You want to be part of the spectacle. You want to see the new stars come through. Verstappen came from that series. So did Vettel. So did Albon, Norris, uh, Russell. But the thing is, if you don't have a show, if you don't have a spectacle you don't have an event at all formula one needs to still have that for the fans you can't just go to a a racetrack to appease one driver's fan base you have to go there because the racing should be spectacular 
Uh, to be fair, Jake, the chat room's pretty upset with you in some quarters because obviously Zandvoort does have a, a quite a history. It, it's not like a, a brand new tilkadrome uh, that's been erected for one driver from a, a fringe nation. And I agree with them. You know, it is a circuit with heritage, but the thing is to get it up to Formula One standard in 2020, I am concerned that the heritage elements of Zandvoort are going to be affected. I have a feeling they're going to wreck the spirit of the circuit in order to do it. And that's what concerns me. If they're going to try and bring it up to Formula One standard, a lot of things might be changed that are actually going to spoil the nature of the circuit. And that's my biggest concern more than anything else. The quotes from the circuit owners are that they want to retain the heritage of it. You know, they want to keep it a punishing circuit. So that if you do make a mistake, you know, you don't just roll through a runoff area. I mean, obviously, there has to be a certain amount of runoff area in certain places to host a Formula One race. That's just what you have to do to get FIA grade one uh, status. But there's no reason why they can't retain gravel, for example, in in other areas, you know, especially some of the slower parts um, of the track. One of the really interesting things um, about it as well is they reckon that their pit lane is going to really help. Uh, racing as well because it's such a short pit lane pit stops will only be about 14 seconds and not like 20 seconds which we usually see which they think will encourage more pit stops ergo different strategies and better racing yeah i was that's what i was going to bring up i was going to try to go to the chat room so michael distelhof uh was wanting to to ask about that i guess how short can you really make a, a pit lane if you have kind of the pit entry um jump straight in and, and the exit kind of jumps straight out still there's going to have to be a, a certain length of of pit road just to have 10 different garages stacked on top of each other so what is it about this pit lane in particular that makes it so quick well i think it, chris hang on i mean formula e showed us that you don't have to have a pit lane on the start finish straight you can have a pit lane that follows just a much shorter route so in theory you could have i don't know the canadian grand prix before that hairpin before the last right hand hairpin you could have uh, a turn off you know just after that last chicane and have the pit lane there and have the pit lane down the back straight, but you take kind of a shortcut to get there. Why even stop there? Why not have different pit lanes at different points on the same circuit and have teams compete to have their garage set up on the one that has the, the, the shortest path. I mean, yeah. Why, who's to, I never even thought about that. Why, why does the pit road have to be on the main straight and why does there even have to be one? I think the possibilities are endless here. We can just have seven pit lanes and, I think 14, 15 DRS zones um, and, and, you know, add DRS flaps too. I think you might as well have two or three of those. And then, you know, maybe we'll get some racing. Oh, Jake's not happy. But uh, Chris, essentially what we're saying is we're so used to the fact that having a pit stop is a huge time penalty, i.e. more than just the time it takes to change the tyres. We're used to it generally taking 20 to 23 seconds. Is there any sporting reason why that has to be the, the case? No, that's just the time loss it takes because you're going down to 80 kilometers an hour while everyone else on the pit straight tends to be doing surplus of 180 or even over 200 at most circuits. That's what the real time loss is because you're stopping the car for a little bit as well. But if the pit lane is shorter, then you're obviously going at that reduced speed for for less time. It's going to be more about the pit in and pit out section rather than the lane itself where the garages and the pit stops themselves happen. 
So lesser like uh, China, for example, where you go, you go straight and then you go well wide and, you know, then into the pits, it's going to be more maybe like uh, Canada, uh, for, for example, where you actually gain time initially by going through the pit lane because you skip the chicane. Jake, t- tell us why you had that furrowed, angry look on your face as we were talking. In terms of the extent of, you know, added DRS and added oh, all these gimmicks, the thing is, I, I still have this issue with what people want from Formula One nowadays. And it's not the sport that's broken, in my opinion. It's not the generation we're in that finds we have a problem with this. If you look through the different eras of Formula One, through the 50s, the 60s, 70s, the 80s, the 90s, up to now, Formula One hasn't actually changed that much in terms of what you actually get on a Sunday afternoon. Whoever's in the fastest car is probably going to win. There is a little bit of a difference because the cars are more reliable. That's about it. But in terms of what Formula One actually gives you, it's no different. The generation we're in as a society is different. We're in the goldfish generation. We've only got an attention span of seven seconds. If it's not crashes every five seconds and overtaking moves that, you know, rival the greatest thing in motor racing history. Nobody wants to know. We need to be realistic about what Formula One actually is and what it gives us. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a very insightful comment. And I think we're going to talk about the broken state of F1 a bit later on as we discuss Martin Brundle's state of the nation that he gave on SkySports.com. Uh, but sticking with Zandervoort for a little while then, Chris, if uh, if if it's an old school track, with gravel traps, the the modern generation of drivers is is pretty used to being able to make a move at somewhere like Paul Ricard and having that runoff to rescue them. If we have a track where no, go on then. Well, I, well, I think a, a lot of the circuits where junior racing, uh, especially, happens, they're still very old school circuits. I and mean, if you look at the vast majority of the circuits in Britain, for example, anybody who drove in British F four is very used to having a gravel trap right um, there. And let's not forget um, circuits like Poe, where anybody who drove in Euro F3 will have raced as well. As, as much as, yeah, F1 has gotten a lot safer and, yeah, drivers get used to it, they should be able to adapt very, very quickly. I, I just have a, a general question for you guys, I guess. You know, people are talking about the the character, the the identity of Zanfort. They haven't, they haven't had F1 there in, in 35 years. Uh, I am less than 35 years old, so I feel pretty comfortable uh, admitting to all the hardcore fans that listen to us that I have not watched a live F1 race at Sanford. I know Jake is, is, is uh, distraught and feeling very old at this time, but what it used to be like in the, you know, the early 80s, does that matter at all, really? That's a that's a fair question, actually. And um, I would think, no, not really. How different is the world from 35 years ago? Why why should it be the same? How okay. different is Formula One from 35 years ago in terms of its technology? You know, we have come completely in a different era of the sports. Safety very different now compared to what it was then. What is a viable racetrack 35 years ago for Formula One? is completely different now. If we're using an old school circuit, you don't necessarily have to adhere to the old spirit of it. You know, look at Silverstone. It's completely different compared to what it was in 1950. It's completely different from what it was in 1997. So, you know, you have to move with the times or just accept that that's the way the world's going to evolve. 
Yep. I, I am going to try to say this. This appears to be a, a Dutch chatter in, in the YouTube chat. Jelmer Vanderlei. I'm, I'm sorry. I tried. Old school circuits plus new school cars equals no. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree. That is my instinct. Uh, and my heart did sink a little when people were describing it as Monaco without the walls. Uh, cause I, I too at 38 am not familiar with this track. I, I do prefer these modern cars on the t- on the Tilkadromes. As unpopular as that is, we get b- better racing at Bahrain, at China, than we do at Barcelona, Monaco, Hungaro Ring. Chris, that that is just the case, isn't it? We either need to nerf the cars back to 1990 standards, or we need to accept you need new tracks. I think uh, you've picked out the two best. Tilka circuits on the calendar. Yes, because that yeah. helps my argument, Chris. I'm not. I'm not yeah. going to give you bad examples. No, exactly. But that's why they're making the changes to Zandvoort to bring. Yeah, if you stuck them on the way it is now, it would be atrocious. But that's why they're making the changes so that when we do go racing there, it is actually entertaining. I'd still like to argue that I think one of the best ways to improve the show is to have 1990s regulations. Now that we've got today's modern safety standards because everybody harkens back to the amazing car design freedom that we had in sort of the 80s and 90s, but the sport was a lot more dangerous. Well, we fixed the danger problem. Why not then go back to the drawing board and have the same uh, regulations, essentially, with today's modern technology and safety standards as we did back then? If there's a bit more freedom in car design, then we'll get the show back to what it used to be. Jake Sanson, you are a free bird on the road this weekend, and you're joining us from a hotel room and a, a snazzy-looking hotel room at that. Uh, you're you're in uh, a kart championship uh, working with them and talking to the likes of Felipe Massa, of all people. Yes, Felipe Massa is the... Um karting president of the uh, CIK, which is the FIA of uh, karting. And we were joined at the weekend, actually, in Genk by the president of the FIA himself, Jean Todd. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to be sharing that interview with you guys uh, on the FIA karting social media channels in the coming days. But it's also a palette that's got a hell of a lot of Formula One influence. I mean, Jarno Trulli's son now races there, so he is there so he's there all the time Luca Badua's boy Brando Badua is there and so is Juan Pablo Montoya's son Sebastian so there's a lot of Formula One influence uh, Rosberg's got his own team now Nico Rosberg the Rosberg Racing Academy is very strong with their two or three drivers and you've got Ralph Schumacher who has his own chassis out there now so there's massive Formula One interest and that's all back to the fact that you know karting is the ultimate way to get into Formula One and it's still yeah. something that the F1 drivers go back to yeah but who's going to take Team Rosberg's place if they nick a championship and then quit interesting question I'll get back to you on that one follow Jake Sanson online he's a fantastic commentator always brings every event to life and we love having you here on Missed Apex podcast uh, let's uh, talk a bit about Mercedes they have a change at the top Jake uh, Dr. Z is leaving and apparently the bloke that's coming in doesn't like Toto Wolf so we are going to have a battle for the silver throne who is going to win who's going to come out on top you know is it going to be Toto Wolf reaping fire and brimstone over Brackley or is there going to be a just new king of the north or I couldn't find a new way to tie that in (laughs) my my analogy has crumbled Uh, what's going on that was going to be a brilliant analogy. Yeah, I know. I was, going, um, I was getting there. It's difficult because I, I genuinely think that the struggle for power at Mercedes could be a bigger rivalry than we've got between Hamilton and Bottas on the racetrack at the moment. 
it, it, they've got a fascinating scenario because they've had this situation where the drivers that they thought they were going to have for 2020 have now completely changed because Hamilton seems to have new motivation because Bottas has suddenly hit the reset button. He's now a great driver. So Esteban Ocon's not got a seat. And the way Williams are going, there's no safety security that George Russell will end up with a Mercedes seat either. So it looks as though the biggest issue they're actually going to have is not on the track, it's off the track. And I'm interested to see how Toto Wolff can handle the situation. There's been rumours flying around that he's going to take over Ross Braun's job or Chase Carey's job even at Liberty Media. And I'm very interested to see how this is going to work out because people want to see how Mercedes are going to cope with it. But they also want to see perhaps a little bit of a changing of the guard, considering that they've been first and second in the first five races of the season, which has never happened before in the sports history. There's so many people who are just desperate for anybody other than Mercedes to win at the moment in in order to give us a bit more openness. Well, there you go, Chris. Is that hope (laughs) that this is some cataclysmic uh, disturbance at the top of Mercedes or is this just a rotation of the board and and nothing nothing's going to change uh, I I think ultimately yeah very little uh, will change um not least for Mercedes performance because ultimately why that team is so great is not because of one or two people at the head of the field it's because every single person on every single layer of that team right down to the intern who makes the coffee is spectacular at what they do ultimately um in terms of you know whether they're going to stick around in formula one there have been rumors for years about them packing up for uh, at the end of 2020 and focusing fully on formula e for example that's still an outside possibility i think but i can't ultimately really see it happening with the way things are going at the moment I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record. I'm gonna I place a bet. You know, Miss Apex 2021 Spanners can rub my nose in it if I'm wrong. But I think Lewis is going nowhere. Toto is going nowhere. Mercedes is going nowhere. You, you've won five, going on six championships in a row now. Everything is going quite swimmingly. Um, and I always love the opportunity to use that word. There's no reason to change anything. Okay, there's speculation that after. Hamilton's contract is up at the end of next year that he's going to go drive for Ferrari because it's a bucket list item or something like that. Yeah, no, not going to happen. I don't see it. No reason to to shake anything up when it's all going perfectly. This whole thing about Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari has been blown way, way out of proportion, presumably because people don't actually read things properly. They just read the headline and make assumptions. What this is actually about is what's going to happen if Ferrari do approach him, you know, how you negotiate that scenario. It does not mean, oh, yeah, I'm moving to Ferrari now. Right. So, so I see this in two ways. First of all, Lewis isn't going to say, oh, yeah, I'd never go anywhere because then that just completely kills his negotiating power with Mercedes. They say, we're your only option, so you take whatever you get. So he has to say, I have other options. And what are the other options? It's basically just Ferrari. So I don't believe that. And I think we've actually gotten to a point where Toto's sandbagging and PR work for Ferrari, we don't believe him anymore. We don't believe that Ferrari are quick this weekend and we might catch them. We got to hope that we get a safety car or rain or something like that. And he's actually got to step up his, his game a little bit. And he's talking about, well, we actually might lose our driver to them. So it's like, I don't, I don't believe any of it for a second. It's all artificially generated hype to keep Mercedes in the news and keep us watching. 
Well, madder things have happened in Formula One. I know that Hamilton likes to hit a bit of a new streak every so now. He needs to reinvent himself a little bit. He needs to give himself a new environment. Even within McLaren, he's done that when he's had Alonso and then he's had Kovalainen and then he's you know ushered in Jensen Button. And at Mercedes, he's had that a couple of times already. Now he loves Bottas. And right at the start, he said, oh, I get to work with Nico Rosberg. He's my best mate. Brilliant. Look how that turned out. So, you know, I, I think it might be time for Hamilton to have a bit of a change of environment. Because what are you going to do? You're just going to add another title every year. He wants a new challenge. All racing drivers want a new challenge when they're burnt out. You know, they need new motivation. If he can take Ferrari to the top in an era when Alonso hasn't, Vettel hasn't, you know, that's that's something that really puts the feather in the cap. He's already won five world championships. What else does he have to prove? If he wants to rejuvenate himself, where better to do it than at Ferrari and snub the drivers who have tried and failed to get it done? Okay, a few premises there that I would challenge. A, that Lewis Hamilton is sitting there going, yeah, five titles is great and it's looking like six. I just wish I had a challenge, guys. No, I'm pretty sure... From his point of view, he's had a challenge. He has had uh, years of Rosberg, who eventually nicked a title off him. He then had two years of Ferrari emerging. Sebastian Vettel arguably having a fantastic chance to win the championship in 2018. And then now he's kind of seen off the Ferrari and Bottas challenge, well, the Bottas challenge for now. I think from his point of view... He's had a challenge and he's gonna, he's, he's quite happy to sit there and pick up a few new titles. But what I'm interested from, from you, uh, from you, Nick, is that there's been quite a bitter rivalry between Ferrari versus Hamilton. And it, and it is that, to be fair, isn't it? It's Ferrari versus Hamilton, even going back to Alonso, uh, in, at the start of the hybrid era. Would you, in red, accept Lewis Hamilton now coming over to your side and aiding the Ferrari cause? I think I just threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> no, and I, I think fans of Mercedes they feel the same way. I think I think nobody wants this, but um, Steve Blackout nineteen in the chat room points out optimistically that on the positive side, if Lewis did go to Ferrari, we would have a different world champion than Lewis. <laughs> and Jeansy, uh, who's a massive Hamilton fan, has described Lewis going to Ferrari as. Uh, it would be like watching your wife kissing your best friend and she enjoyed it more than kissing you and just how horrifying that would be. And I think, uh, I think a, lot of, a lot of the fans on both sides of that divide have become so embattled, it would put people in a horrible position. I certainly wouldn't know what to do. Uh, okay, so we've got a question from Josh Geek in our Slack group, Chris. I don't know if you caught that one. It's about, you know, what, what next for F1. We're sort of moving towards discussing the reaction from the Barcelona Grand Prix. Loads of people were super, super unhappy. And I don't think it was Hamilton fans. I think it was people who were kind of fed up of the Hamilton dominance over the last few years. Certainly, I can relate. I lived through the Schumacher dominance um, with Ferrari, and that wasn't a great period of F1 fandom for me. So I can relate. But Josh Geek says, what next for F1? This year will be a Mercedes whitewash, and everyone knows it. For the sport's sake, it's just going to be viewership damage limitation. How long until the other teams write off 2019 and perhaps 2020 and start focusing on either next season or the 2021 regulations? So it's a good point, actually. Ferrari are in danger of, at some point, kind of going, "Mm, 
this is this is done. This is done this year. Do we start looking at next year's car? Well, the the thing is, you've you've got to continue to look at twenty nineteen regardless, because the twenty twenty regulations are exactly the same as far as we know so far. Yeah, no one's talking about any reg changes for um, for next year. So you still have to uh, go along with that. Uh, and that development path, because you will still be influenced by this year's car. Everyone should be focused on 2021 regardless, even though the rules aren't published yet. Everyone is testing away the the things they do know and all sorts of different things to, to try and prepare that. I think what we're ending up with is, yeah, um, a Mercedes dominance for this season, whether people can get it right for 2020 and then who knows for 2021, basically. Okay, so you said those regulations aren't published. As I understand it, and this could be wrong, as I understand it, the World Council meeting will be in June, as I as I understand it, and then the regulations will be published shortly after that. And there's a little bit of resentment from some of the other teams because the them these uh, regulations coming out kind of quite early are going to give the teams that can throw resources and have different development teams like Mercedes can, it's going to give those teams a massive advantage. So whatever you do in 2021 regulation wise is going to be nullified by the fact that Mercedes and Ferrari are really the only teams who can afford to have those dual or even triple development paths. So this year's car, the 2020 car and the new regulations car, Mercedes can do that. Uh, Ferrari can possibly afford to do it, but you know, as we've seen, their execution isn't always always the same. Chris first, then Jake. Right. So the thing I would say about that is that I don't think this is early compared to previous regulation changes. I mean, the 2014 ones got announced in what the end of 2010. You had three whole years of development there, 18 months to make a car and and get it to go and run to to make it the best it can be it's not a long time i would say so no matter what development time you you give them the top teams are always going to find a way maybe yeah you can minimize it by shortening that uh, a little bit but i this is certainly not the the longest it, it's been before we we managed to to get some regulation changes out uh, the the smaller teams are going to be complaining anyway because all the teams have got to say in these regulation changes, which is not not really right because all, every team just wants what's best for them. And I think that, that's what's really the, the danger point for the 2021 regs in that we might just end up with something very, very similar to what we have now. I agree with Chris in that 18 months is not a long time to get the development right for the cars. And I actually think that might be a good thing in the sense that you might get one or two shrewd engineers who come up with a really decent, concept very very quickly that outfoxes some of the bigger teams that we saw with Braun getting one over on the opposition in 2009 I'm kind of hoping that we see a sort of a giant killer like that because obviously we saw that and then midway through 2009 Red Bull just caught up because Adrian Newey had his skates on now that's been the changing of the guard I'd like to see something similar to that with the new regulations in 2021 and giving them only 18 months might actually be the thing that creates that sort of a catalyst we might see a bit of a changing of the guard if they've only got 18 months to develop it nick the way i kind of see it is uh, i would try to do my kimmy reckoning voice but it's just no good but the way i kind of see it is that it's the same for everyone so it doesn't matter if it's 18 months or 
five years, Mercedes has several hundred more engineers, several orders of magnitude more engineers than smaller teams. No matter what the period of time is, it's constant. They're always going to be better prepared. I always expect one of the the big works teams to jump out ahead when there's new wrecks. Yeah, as much as we're hoping 2021 is going to be an era where teams like Force India and Alfa Romeo and Williams can fight for podiums and and maybe have an outside shot at a win like it was before the hybrid era you're still always going to expect mercedes ferrari red bull to be at the front they're going to be the consistent ones but you want an outside shot to be there as well which we definitely do not have at the moment excellent um and without a cost cap chris uh, that would all be futile there is going to be a cost cap However, I think part of the objection to the timing of all the announcements is that if you have a cost cap that comes in in 2021, but Ferrari and Mercedes can still pour infinite energy into this new regulation change, haven't you just completely blunted the effect of that cost cap? Yeah, that's um, that's a real grey area, isn't it? I was just thinking that. How are they going to, to handle that? Are they going to say you can't spend X money on uh, something for 2021 but then how can you say some, w- whether something's for 2020 or for 2021 you know that this is going to be a massive gray area and teams are going to have to exploit that you know re- regardless um the good the positive so far spec parts budget cap more of that because that just will create a more competitive f1 guys we're going to take a short break where some of you may or may not Hear a word from our sponsors. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Someone who's not happy about the new regulation shifts, Chris Stevens, is Martin Brundle. And he took to his column on Sky, SkySports.com. And it was a lengthy and passionate and emotional kind of just head in his hands, despairing at the state of Formula One. If somebody who 
has this much passion about Formula One is this upset. You should sit back and listen. He's made a lot of points, not all of which I agree with, but there's a lot of negativity around F1. We had a boring Baku race. We had a, a Spanish race that also failed to thrill and kind of signalled almost, well, certainly a lot of people who are not Hamilton supporters threw the towel in after Barcelona. Went, oh, my God, six races in. It's all over. The negativity, though, is real. It's a little bit above just the normal whinging F1 fans. Well, I think there is a justification for that. It, having had you know five Mercedes one twos in a row, that wouldn't have been the case if Ferrari could keep their electronics in order in Bahrain. But that's the situation we've got. They're the cards we've been dealt. This is what we've got to deal with for this season. I have no issue with one team claiming five or potentially next weekend, six, one, two finishes on the trot. So long as there's a competition for it. And there just isn't a competition for it this year. You've got Mercedes and then there's a gap to Red Bull and Ferrari and then an even bigger, what like huge gap to the rest of the field. There just isn't a competition for first and second anymore. It's a race for the final spot on the podium. What we're back to is 2014 effectively. To be fair, it is pretty hard to have five, six, one, twos in a row and have there be competition. Just the the likelihood of it being competitive and happening to win six times in a row. So if it's going to be like this, I feel like it's it's going to be like this. The thing is, you got to remember that Martin Brundle comes from an era of Formula One when occasionally a Tyrrell could get on the podium, a Brabham could outfox a Ferrari, uh, a Williams would actually break down in the lead and it had had a victory to the Benetton. It just doesn't happen anymore. You know, Mercedes don't break down that very often. Ferraris, they lose races, but they don't DNF very often. Red Bulls don't DNF half as much as they used to. You know, there used to be an era when in the 90s, like Monaco 96, Panis won. It was a crazy race. But can you even envisage nowadays that a racing point or even a Toro Rosso or something like that on the grid now could accidentally come through and take a victory? You're never going to see the European Grand Prix of 99 when Stewart took the victory with Herbert, that kind of race, you just can't see that race ever happening. So that, the current regulations. That, that race you're talking that about with Panis, that race you're talking about with Panis, did he, did he yes. win? Did he win Monaco? He did. Yeah. So how many cars finished that race? Five? Three. Three cars finished that race. Okay. So what we're saying is we're, we're talking about not a, a Panis, you know, getting on the track at Silverstone and just suddenly coming up with a development that means they can challenge for podiums and then nick a win. We're talking about a race where three cars finished. Do you want to return to that, Jake? I don't want to return to that, but I do want to return to an era where the other teams have a potential to come through on the podium. And that just doesn't happen now. Okay, so you you believe in in that period, had it not been for the massive attrition, you could have got a Panis coming in and nicking a win at some point? I genuinely think that, you know, in the days when we had attrition, there was a chance that a Minardi could get into the top five. You can't even consider the fact that a Williams can even get close to points in the 2019 season. It's never going to happen. You're never, you're never going to see a racing point win a race this year. You're never going to see a Renault even potentially win a race this year. And that's not right. You know, that's a manufacturer team who can't get close to another manufacturer with a similar budget. How is that possible? The... the- the thing you have is that you there is an there is a a period of modern F1 where this did happen, all right? Not through 
reliability, not through crazy issues like that. No, no European or Monaco Grand Prix in whatever years they were. You had competitive Formula One where teams like Toro Rosso, teams like Force India were going away and scoring points, beating the big boys like Ferrari, like McLaren and BMW Sauber back in the day as, as well. And that, you know, look at 2007 to 2012. That for me is a halcyon period of Formula One where you had great racing, great fights for the championship. You had you know, you, you, your regular contenders, your Ferraris and your uh, McLarens. And then Sauber were always in the fight for the podium. And then you always had the chance for the, the lower teams to, to mix it in, at least with the top guys. They were competitive with them. It, it wasn't just a case of they were 30 seconds off, Ferrari threw it into the wall and they nipped that last point. You know, they were actually competing with the likes of Ferrari and McLaren in those years. That's what we need to get back to. Uh, okay, but that is kind of a, a peak of goodness in what we're talking about here. There's, there was plenty of periods before that, though, where teams would disappear off and, and win races by 50 seconds and lap the whole field, Chris. So yeah. we're, we're not always going to sustain that kind of level of closeness unless we just make it much more of a spec series. No, but that's what we, we have to start leaning back towards it at the moment because fans are switching their tillies off. You know, they're, they're not entertained by current F1. Well, we don't have a like for like comparison, do we? Because it's because it's pay-per-view on Skype. Um, do we have any evidence that people are turning off because of this? Or is it that people who have come into F1 viewership in that period you're talking about are suddenly disappointed with this but if you talk about it over the decades I mean people like myself in my generation a race like Barcelona 2019 in fact we'll go to Jake a race like Barcelona 2019 isn't actually that shocking if if you switch switch the driver names around and make it so it wasn't Hamilton who took that win it was Ricardo Patrese that wasn't a, a shocking or jarring Barcelona Grand Prix Absolutely. It, was, it wasn't di- different to anything we've really seen from that circuit in this formula for about three or four seasons. I think I'm going to try and be as brief as possible because I know you don't like me rambling on. I think there's three factors, you. really, that are the reason people are switching off. One, it's pay-per-view and nobody wants to pay for something that they feel they should be able to get for free. Two, obviously the attrition rate is not conducive to exciting, you know, no holds barred surprise race results. Uh, and three, you've obviously got the fact that we are in this, you know, as I said before, seven second generation. If it's not the greatest race they've ever seen next this week, they're not going to watch next week. And that's just the way the world works nowadays. Uh, hello to the live stream. Always good at jumping in with conversations. Uh, Nick, how do you feel that one shot quality would work as suggested by Brian Kim? And if you would like to get into the chat room, just go onto YouTube and search for Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, if you watch it on your computer or on your phone, you'll have a live chat room there and you can chat along with us and uh, insult us and our physical appearances. Uh, particularly Nick, who uh, looks very similar to his dog. Where's your dog? Where's your dog, Nick? It's normally on the bed. Just off to the right a little bit. Oh, My right. Okay. You, know, you, you know you're contractually obliged to include the dog in the live stream now. Uh, yep. Before I get your opinion on one-shot qualifying, you have a, such a brave concept in podcasting at the moment where a bunch of you just wildly speculate on a book that none of you have read, and then you release that as a podcast. Yeah, I think you're wildly speculating about a podcast that you've never listened to it and you just release it as a plug on your own podcast. No, I've got a new podcast. It's called What's It About? 
And every couple of weeks we read a book and we talk about it. And it's just kind of a way to have a book club with my friends. Um, I've got Steve Amy, our Missed Apex video producer, makes regular appearances. So if you like him and you want to get listen to that Australian accent a little bit more, you can you can come check us out. Is he super angry when he's on that thing? Is he like, oh, oh this podcast, the lighting's terrible. Uh, it's all Spanish fault, even though he's not on it. You're all idiots. Does he do that? He, he, he will often complain about the movie adaptations of the books. <laughs> read, okay. Okay. I'm in. If our video producer, Steve Amy, is on those episodes, that, that's enough to make me uh, try and check it out. And, and maybe, maybe even read a book Uh, but one of the main problems we have with formula one at the moment is you have the fastest guy of the weekend in the fastest car starting at the front and then in speed order all the way back and then we get surprised when they string out in talent and pace order one shot qualifying doing things to mix it up is that going to fix it so first of all totally impressed that you remembered your original question ketternath Iyer, i hope i pronounced that okay says the funny part about this golden era, 2010-2012, that we referenced, is that three major manufacturers had just pulled out of F1, Toyota, BMW, Honda. Maybe it's the manufacturer's involvement that's the problem. Maybe we don't need one-shot qualifying. Maybe we just kick Mercedes out, kick Ferrari out, kick Red Bull out, and just say, okay, start over. Because Formula 2, or not Formula 2, Formula 1.5, Formula B, whatever you want to call it. Formula B. If, if that was the sharp end... It would be mega entertaining. The, the the outright quantitative pace, the lap times would be a little bit lower, but I think as a spectacle, it would be a lot better. Uh, Jake, why don't they show us more of what's going on in Formula B? There's some right scraps back there. Formula B. The thing is, it, it has got to a bit of a dire point, hasn't it? That Formula 2 and Formula 3 on the same bill of Formula 1 is actually the better spectacle. That is a big, big warning sign for Formula One. If Formula Two and Formula Three races are actually more entertaining to watch, then why isn't something being sorted about that? Well, hang on a minute, though. Formula Two in Baku was more entertaining to watch because they couldn't keep it out of the wall in Turn One and Turn Three. So there is going to be a certain element of that. At one point, it was like watching the darts, you know, when they zoom in on the 180 and there was two cars stuck in the, the knuckle on the exit of turn one, and then, you know, they they zoom in on it, and a third one went, 180. But Formula One drivers are a little better than that, so they're not going to provide the same carnage as the F2. The the other thing, of course, that you have to say about Formula 2 and Formula 3 is, A, it's a spec series, and B, the drivers are so desperate to get into Formula 1 that they'll try a riskier move. The desperation sets in. So it's a bit of a balance. You know, Formula 1 is not a spec series. It's never going to be the same package. What we need to find out is a format and a formula that can be close to spec series racing action without spoiling what Formula 1 actually is. So you want your cake and and you want to eat it you want the tech war but it's interesting to see, see uh, Martin Brundle in his uh, in his article really was bemoaning it being a tech war he was saying it has to be more about the drivers doesn't yeah. that take away though what F1 is about it's about building the fastest car and turning up and beating the other teams Yes and no. I get it completely where he's coming from. Formula One should be about de- developing technology, and it has been all the way through for, since 1950. It has been about developing technology. But at the end of the day, like it or not, we are in the entertainment business. We have to be. That has to be the core value. If you are not entertaining, the fans will not spend the hundreds of pounds to get to the circuit, the hundreds of pounds to go into the circuit, and 
invest in the television coverage, watching it year in and year out. If it's not a good show, why spend your money? You may as well save your money and go and get a subscription to Netflix or Amazon Prime. You've got to keep your fans interested. So, so what you have here is you have a juxtaposition. You have two things that you're trying to accomplish at the same time that, in my opinion, I think they're at complete odds with each other. So we're, we're kind of beating around the bush a little bit, talking about both topics without comparing them and, and making a trade-off. You want to have the most technologically advanced, most sci-fi, most amazing technology battle ever. And you have people in the chat room clamoring for active suspension and active active aerodynamics. Why can't F1 cars have movable rear wings if you can see, you know, a Porsche road car on, on the highway having, you know, active rear wings? Why, why is that, you know, road car more technologically advanced than F1 car? And then you have people like Martin Brundle and also Lewis Hamilton saying that it should be a sport. I want to be an athlete. I want to be physically drained at the end of the event, take away power steering, make me muscle the car around the corners. Then it's like, how, how can you get rid of power steering even for a good reason and still claim to be at the pinnacle of prototype motorsport? Yeah. And look, Martin Brundle is hurting possibly because of the social media reaction and the the amount of people that have been moaning about it as one of the the biggest ambassadors of formula one of all time that's probably hurting him that people are are feeling negative towards it but i don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater jake f1 is to a certain extent what it is and if you want spec series racing there's plenty of great racing to be had out there you you don't have to change f1 necessarily no absolutely but i get where his passion comes from because at the end of the day he's a racing driver and he's thinking about his passion for the sport as a racing driver case study roman grosjean do you think he spent years and years in karting and in the junior formula with the dream oh i'm going to finish in 11th and 12th position in formula one every week no that's not what he came into it for he wanted to be on the podium he wanted to win races he wanted to be in a sport he could actually win if he can't Partly that could come down to driving talent, but it also could come down to the fact that that talent's never been developed because he's never been in a formula that allows you to actually have those moments where you can actually progress. All right, look, I'm going to stop you there. You do not get to blame F1 for Roman Grosjean. Roman Grosjean is the reason for Roman Grosjean, although he seems like a really nice bloke. Uh, I wish him all the best. I wish he'd be better. I, I more- see what you're saying. I'm literally picking a driver at random. This is not a Grosjean spat You should have picked a, mu- a better one. Uh, Nick? <laughs> Just nobody makes Roman bleed his own blood. Nobody. <laughs> uh, right, a couple of points that have fallen out of that before we move on to a little bit about what happened in the Barcelona testing and a Monaco preview that we've got to squeeze in somehow here, Chris. Sorry about that. I've, I've let us run over. Uh, we need to do a, a things we would change about F1 because the, the two things I've been beating a drum for for ages have been uh, electronic detection of running off track that leads to a temporary decrease in horsepower. That's a very simple technology that would solve a lot of the issues. Yes, you run wide, but you have a simulated uh, penalty um, and you don't suffer from gravel flipping you over. The second thing is very simple to have DRS simply close once you're halfway alongside another car. So you get the detection off the car in front. You go down the Chinese 18 miles straight as you get your wheels up in front of the, the car in front's rear wheels, DRS shuts and you don't get it anymore. And then you've still got a racing maneuver uh, to make. Two very simple technologies that I don't think we should be scared of. A couple of points that I wanted to take a little bit of umbrage with, with uh, Brundle. Not that I want to fight him. 
Obviously, he probably knows a bit more about F1 than me, Chris. Uh, but he's talking about teenagers jumping in and having it all mastered by lunchtime. And, and, and that's a sign that the cars are too easy to drive. But surely, you know, young kids like Norris, who are coming in now, are more prepared and, and Verstappen are more prepared than any generation of F1 drivers that's come before. Most definitely, yeah. The the way the junior series are run now is is like what F1 used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the way they get through the, the data, the access that they have now to things that were top level in Formula One, you know, 20 years ago, that's what they all have now. And that's how you help develop a driver, not least, you know, them being in the simulators for a week on end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Jake, then Nick. Yeah, it's interesting because Martin Brundle is using this old teenage whippersnappers mastering Formula One argument by using examples like Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Russell, Albon. Hello, do your homework and your ancient history. These kids were incredible in the world of karting. Lando Norris was the world champion in karting at the age of 14. You're lucky if you can do that before the age of 21. Uh, Verstappen and Leclerc were the kings of KZ shifter karting. You can't do that unless you're in your late 20s. They did it when they were 15 and 16, respectfully. You can't use the, oh, teenagers are finding it easier to drive Formula One cars uh, as a general example of the fact that it's easier to drive F1 cars. These guys got to F1 because they're good enough to be in Formula One. Don't blame the sport for how talented they are and how quickly they've progressed. Those guys actually deserve to be in the sport. To me, it's kind of a, it's a non-point complaining that young kids are good at the sport and shouldn't be good and that you shouldn't be good at a pro sport until you reach some arbitrary minimum age number. It's not, it's not a valid criticism for me Well, we wouldn't do that in any other sport. Oh my goodness. Look at all these talents coming out of college basketball. It's terrible. It doesn't make any sense to me. Basketball is terrible. That's not controversial. What a, t- a terrible elitist sport that's anti-short people. Boo, boo basketball. But hey, Getting back to this article, if someone with the experience of Martin Brundle uh, and someone who is as passionate about the sport as Martin Brundle feels the need to write that article, maybe we should all pay attention. Chris, I want to do a bit of a Monaco preview, but is there anything, if you had to pick one or two things about the Barcelona tests or the post-Barcelona tests to bring to our attention, what would you pick? Um, it would be a toss-up between the number of F2 drivers we saw uh, in there and how one of them, Nikita Mazepin, who uh, someone from Brad, if it was Helmut Marko, if I remember rightly, described as a second-rate F2 driver, was only 0.2 seconds off of what Valtteri Bottas did the previous day. Now, this kind of ties into what we were just talking about, wasn't it, about how these young kids just come in and are amazing straight away, you know, to only be two tenths off uh, Bottas. Um, And he is, well, I mean, he's no slouch. He was the GP3 runner-up last year. He is currently in F2 for ART. Um, he ha- he's not like a newcomer to, to F1 machinery. He's been forced into his young uh, driver that ended when they went into administration. He's currently on a 12 day testing program with Mercedes. But do we think that him being able to just jump in and only be two tenths off shows just how good the Mercedes car is? I, I feel like we've already had this argument. Were they racing? 
were they doing the same thing? Were they competing against each other with the same amount of fuel, the same amount of laps on the same tires? Is that a comparison at all? It doesn't mean anything. They were both doing performance runs at the end of the day. With the same exact equipment? Supposedly. Well, Nick, Nick's hit the nail on the head here. We don't know anything about the relevance of testing in any context because we don't have all the facts. The only facts we have are what we see on race day. And even then, we are only presented with 20% of the facts at any given time. Testing means nothing. February right. proves that. Yeah, I think this year we have a whole bunch of empirical data in the form of uh, five Mercedes 1-2s in a row. So obviously, whatever conclusions that we got out of winter testing, they were all wrong because you were obviously not able to jump to those conclusions with the data that we had on hand. Yeah, sure. I mean, some people on this panel might have pointed to the fact that we saw the same pattern in 2016, 2017 and 2018 and would have extrapolated that Occam's razor would have suggested that the Ferrari winter testing form would disappear and that Mercedes would come back as usual. But who am I? I'm just a a guy in a shed, Nick. Just a guy in a shed. Let's talk Monaco. Predictably, we've waffled on and missed a lot of news stories. Uh, I will just say that I think it's horrendous that Rich Energy have had to give up their logo just because they ripped it off. Yet Ferrari can wander around with their red M with impunity. Uh, Give us, we would take a a buyout, a compensation package, unlike the cycle company. So um, if they want to just cut us a check, Ferrari, that's absolutely fine. Uh, There's news that the W Series might support Formula One at some point. I don't think that's going to happen soon, but Mr. Apex W... Uh, is covering the new women-only series that is following DTM. And there was a race this Saturday, and there will be a race review from us on Monday night. So you should have that ready for your Tuesday morning commute, um, something I'm sure Jake might want to jump on and get involved in uh, at some point. Uh, what else was in the news? Uh, no, Monaco. We're straight to Monaco, Chris. Who's going to win? Verstappen, probably. No. No, it's going to be Mercedes. I mean, Mercedes were six tenths quicker than anyone else in the third sector of Barcelona, which is usually a good indicator for Monaco because it's all low-speed corners. And this has probably got something to do with that really clever rear-wheel steering trick suspension thing the Mercedes have supposedly got going on at the moment. I'm not going to lie. I don't fully understand it myself. It's a very, very good bit of kit. Um, But we know that Ferrari are losing most of their time compared to Mercedes in low-speed corners. Red Bull's car is not yet fully optimized. What is there to stop Mercedes getting a sixth one-two finish? What is there, Jake? What is there to stop a sixth Mercedes one-two finish? Rain. (laughs) Genuinely, if it rains, it might throw a spanner into the works. But in my opinion, the only person on that Formula One grid who might be able to steal a race victory in Monaco away from Mercedes is Max Verstappen. And I just don't think he's got that smooth out of the walls yet to justify a chance to go for Monaco. He's just too trigger happy and he tends to be a bit of a pinball around Monaco. I'm hoping that I'm wrong, but I genuinely think he's the only person on the grid who can take it to him. Unless Charles Leclerc has a car that can be competitive, it is going to be a Mercedes one too. Nick, you can give us some hope here because Lewis Hamilton loves Monaco, 
but he's not the best version of Lewis Hamilton around Monaco. Bottas is a little bit less uh, consistently on form than Hamilton. So who's to say that a Verstappen or a Leclerc or a Vettel can't nick a pole? And once you get a pole, that's pretty much that. Yeah, as long as you have all four tires waiting for you when you go down the pits. So you made an analogy earlier to Game of Thrones and the Game uh, of I Thrones tried to, writers. Yeah, I tried to. You, you did. It was successful. I picked up what you were putting down. But the writers are going off to do Star Wars. So I think of Star Wars and I said as smooth as Harry's razor's shaves to help us, Max Verstappen. You are only hope. I don't know if he'll get pole. I don't know if he'll win. But I have to think that if not now, then when and i cannot watch 21 mercedes one twos maybe if it's 10 of one 11 of the other and it stays seven points six points back and forth in the lead the whole time but gotta have something else here with the way it's it's going at the moment it's going to be like a 2014 scenario where mercedes have to shoot themselves in the foot for it to to go wrong um the thing i'm 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 looking at as well is um, the strategy because I'm expecting a one stopper, even though we have the softest compounds available and the track was very recently resurfaced. So that should be putting more energy through the tires. But like we saw last year, the teams can just run as slowly as they want to, to make the tires just, just get across the line, even if they're way past their best, because they're not going to be overtaken. You know, this is the race that is defined by qualifying. And that might put a bit of an interesting battle. And we, you know, we've seen the two Mercs. They've been to and fro in with pole positions, but it's been Bottas ahead so far this season. If he can nail it, then he's got a shout at a Monaco win. Yeah, but come on. I mean, let's shake hands with Ronnie Real. This is going to turn into a 1988 rerun, isn't it? I mean, the only reason McLaren didn't win the clean sweep was because of Monza, Senna tripping over a backmarker. They would have won every single race that year. This is going to be that season completed. I genuinely can't see Mercedes losing the race this year in their current form. And that is a horrific thing to say in 2019 when they're supposed to be the best drivers on the grid. But the way things are currently going, I don't think Mercedes are going to lose a race this year. They're missing a trick here, aren't they, Nick? Come on, this has been established. What you do is you set a time and then you park it in a slip road and then you reverse back out and that's you on pole. Yeah, you're referencing Michael Schumacher, and I can't remember. Oh no, well, no, Michael Schumacher parked it uh, at Raskas, didn't he? Uh, but it was Rosberg who did the the fake lockup and then reversed back down the track uh, and denied oh. Hamilton the chance of uh, of setting a lap. Speaking of conspiracies, uh, Mr. Big Ears, I believe his name was in the chat, is suggesting that Red Bull simply pay Kvyat to torpedo both Mercedes uh, to ensure a victory, you know, getting your junior team to cause a crash. Uh, of course, something that would has, would never happen. Singapore 2008. Yeah. We all got that. Cheers. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. They've got to get close enough to them first. Haven't they? Um, I think just to continue on the, the kind of front field, I do think it's going to be very much um, Mercedes, then Verstappen, uh, and we'll see where Pierre Gasly ends up amongst the Ferraris. I am expecting them to be the third quickest car, though, uh, this weekend. Luckily, the midfield battle looks a lot more interesting. Um, not for McLaren, unfortunately. Um, so they're looking at a double downer weekend because if I'm 
reading the chat room correctly, Fernando Alonso has just failed to qualify for the Indy 500. And I'm not expecting McLaren to go all that strong in uh, the Monaco Grand Prix either because uh, low-speed corners are not their strong point. Sorry, I've just dropped like a massive bomb and kind of gone gone over it because Jake is losing his mind right now. Yeah, this that- is the race he's supposed to dominate in 2019 and the car is not even good enough to get into qualifying. I mean, oh. Was this part of the Triple Crown? Was this one of the... Well, right, okay. So what's... Is he just going to change what the Triple Crown is? Because the Triple Crown was completely made up anyway. And now he's going to be... No, he's going to get into bed with Ganassi or Penske, isn't he? I mean, cut the umbilical cord with McLaren. You're embarrassing yourself, man. Walk away. No, the Triple Crown was always uh, Monaco, the the Norfolk Tractor Racing Association, which... Actually, Jake, don't you commentate on tractor racing? (laughs) I commentated on a tractor race once. (laughs) And that was back in 2012 when I was a moron. It looked it looked fun. It looked fun. Uh, anyway, look, uh, Monaco's coming up. It's not the greatest race. Chris, I know you and I had a, a bit of an argument uh, privately because I said it's a rubbish race. It's a rubbish race on a Sunday. I don't want to bring that negativity into the Monaco race review. So I'm going to get a little bit off my chest now. At the end of the day, sitting down, watching Formula One cars, hearing Formula One cars, listening to the commentary, watching the podium, uh, seeing all the driver interviews, seeing the qualifying build up and weekend, seeing who's fastest over qualifying in practice. I'm still going to enjoy all of that. And I, and I always enjoy having Formula One on my TV. But surely we can, even the most diehard Monaco apologist can accept the fact the Sunday event, uh, from a racing point of view, is, is is a dead rubber. And, like, I have some grounds to go, surely, surely we don't need to be at a track like that in 2019 with these cars. Now, you know I uh, disagree with you on that one. Before I get into that, I will just clarify. Fernando has has yet to, to, to finish out. The qualifying hasn't quite finished yet. I don't want to drop the bomb necessarily and then have it be um, faked out. But he's very much on the precipice, uh, which is all going on while we're recording this. But um, no, I think Monaco does have its place on the calendar for uh, a couple of reasons. The first one is commercial, obviously. It's the most watched race of the season and is the one that where most of the business takes place. It's the one everyone wants to win. Um, and it's the one that has the, the best commercial aspect to it because it's Monaco. Um, the other thing as well is that it's, it's nice to have an event on the calendar where it's all a little bit different, you know, and why it's so qualifying sensitive you know, to have a, a race where it's, it's do or die on Saturday. And that just has such an impact on your Sunday. I will agree with you that Sunday races, they're not, you know, all that entertaining from a wheel to wheel perspective. But for me, uh, good races don't necessarily have to be all the time, you know, swapping and changing and and dive bombs and and all that. Okay. Okay. I'll, before the other guys get in, I just want to pick up on that. You're saying good racing doesn't have to be overtakes. That is absolutely true. You watch the gaps at, at Barcelona. There was quite a lot of exciting racing going on and seeing drivers train, trade times and uh, catching each other and, and tactically feeling each other pressure. Managing the gaps even can be a good tactical element to watch. None of that's happening here, Chris. Ricardo managed to win a race with a busted engine simply because he could just plant it in the middle of the track. So... Racing completely disappears. And as you yourself pointed out earlier, you can have completely ripped and destroyed tyres, still park it 
in the right places and win the race. That's that's not that's not good racing. I, I'm quite willing to sit here and say that Monaco has value and should be part of the calendar if you wanna if you want to say that, but don't say to me it's still good racing. It's definitely not good racing. I think I think five or six years ago it was still good racing, but with the way the cars and the tires are at the moment, it has moved in closer to to what you're you're saying and it's it's not you know entertainment um anymore five or six years ago it was still really entertaining jake i'm with spanners on this one i mean trying to get fired up by the monaco grand prix every year is a bit like going to see a hamlet production expecting the lines to be different it's i mean why are we still doing it i mean heritage is one thing you know, you want a heritage round of the championship. There are so many racetracks we don't go to anymore because they were not suitable for Formula One anymore. Monaco is not suitable for Formula One anymore. The reason we go is a press junket. You know, they do in Monaco in one weekend what the FIA do at the end of the year at the gala. They meet and greet, they uh, shake hands with people and they discuss bits and bobs. Oh, uh, Marcio, Monaco Marcio's... is the added attraction that there are celebrities involved. Yeah, Marcio is pointing out that if there's rain, it might be all right. Yeah, that saves it. There was a decent race in the rain in 2015 or 2016 and that was fine. That was all right. Um I, if you do mandatory, I know everyone mocks the sprinklers, but that might be a way to save Monaco is to have sprinklers. But Nick, you must enjoy it. You're American and presumably have watched baseball occasionally. So you're used to nothing happening for long periods of time. Right. I think you've actually really hit on something there, because while I agree with all of your points, actually, I would somehow find myself missing Monaco. I, I love the scenery. I love the backdrop. The backdrop um, to me, it's iconic, classic F1, um, and I would be sad if it was was gone. Do I think it's good racing? No. What should it go? Maybe. I mean, I would live with it, but I do. I do like it. I do wish that the casual fan who t- who tunes in for one two races a year would not pick that one. That they would they would pick something else. I don't know which one they know of that they would go watch maybe here in America, maybe they could watch the race in Austin, but that is not a good look for I'll tune in once a year and see what's happening. I've just got to adjust the chat room uh, quickly, Jake, because Ray Thompson says, isn't cricket worse than baseball? Yeah, the difference is no one's expecting you to actually watch the cricket. I've been to many a test match where I have no idea what happened. Is that the same, uh, Nick, in baseball? Yeah, you go, (laughs) you you drink beer, you eat hot dogs, you sing songs, maybe, and, you know, occasionally something happens. All right. I'm destroying my own argument then, Jake. If uh, if we're comparing Monaco to Test Cricket and it's a a good a knees up as that, then, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, Jake. I was going to reflect on Nick's point that, you know, it's a very significant race in the calendar and that you would miss it. It kind of comes back to the Zandvoort argument. We're going to Zandvoort because of Max Verstappen. We can't leave Monaco because then 17 drivers on the grid wouldn't be able to race on their home track. Uh, Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Um, So if I am positive and upbeat on next week's Monaco Grand Prix review, just remember that I got all my downbeatness out of the way early on. I will review Monaco in the context of modern Monaco. And I think that's the best way to approach it. Nick, you've been minding the chat room because we don't have Matt Trumpets here. As you know, there must always be an American on the panel. So thank you for being our token American today. Do you have any candidates for... Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week as sung by Mrs. Spanners. 
I do. And I'll try not to have eight. So right in the beginning, before we even started recording, and we were planning out what we were going to talk about, Heck You Know Me 666 asks, there's show notes? Oh, I am so offended. Of course, we have a plan. Um, those of you who listen to the Patreon podcast, those of you who are kind enough to support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex will have heard me and Matt talking about the planning process. And Matt uh, gave a beautiful phrase, which I'm going to completely ruin, but it was something along the lines of dancing on hard ground. Ah, you'll have to subscribe to Patreon to catch that wonderful Patreon podcast. Uh, but it, if you've got the foundation, you can skip and dance across it. If you don't have that foundation, you it's like running through a muddy bog. Honestly, Matt said it a lot better, Nick. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> Yeah, are you is that is that a joke referencing how bad my reference was? It, sort of. That's uh, George W. Bush said that back when he was uh, sitting president. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> he can't get the comment of the week for how dare he? No, and also banned somehow. Uh, who is our next candidate for comment of the week? Pzest Gamer Cost says that cost caps are like gun control. People already have what they have, but you have to start somewhere. I have no strong opinions on politics one way or the other in any capacity or subject. Oh. Let's um, Mer- let's remain on track, though, shall we? And uh, and give us the next candidate for comment of the week. Sure. Merkman says anyone can badmouth Ferrari, but many should stop. Why, why should many stop? I don't think we've badmouthed Ferrari today, have we? Uh, no, but... Uh... I know I can I can badmouth Ferrari all by myself. Thank you very much. I don't need you guys to help me. I think I'm very much badmouth Ferrari when I've said they're consistently the third best car at the moment, despite all their resource. I think oh. actually, to be fair, Nick, you are probably harder on Ferrari than we are because when you're a fan, it, there's there's a weird thing in F1 where you're 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 not allowed to criticize a driver without being a hater. I am most critical about Lewis Hamilton because he's the guy I want to do well the most. And Nick is most critical about Ferrari because that's the team you want to do well the most. And that's more common. In Is it because we're fans of other sort of running and jumpy and ball and puck sports that we have that mentality, perhaps, Nick? It's kind of like a like a little brother thing. It's like you, you hit your little brother, you beat up your little brother, and then somebody else does it. And all of a sudden you jump in and no. only I can do that myself. Um, and also, I think if I got too optimistic and would start, you know, saying on race preview shows that Ferrari was definitely going to win, lock out the front row and all that, the the consequences from you would be so dire that I just don't set myself up for that. Oh, good. A regime of fear. I like it. How are we doing with our nominees? Are we are we there? One more. The winner. Pizas Gamer again. Roman was annoying, but he grows on you. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Comment of the week. One more time. Who was it and what did they say? He's asked GamerCast with Roman was annoying, but he grows on you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us for this. I'm going to try and catch up with Joe Saywood during the week. He's going to be joining us from a balcony in Monaco. And he is a, a very much a fan of the Monaco Grand Prix and loves it. So he'll be bigging it up and I'll let him. Uh, thank you very much to Jake Sanson. Make sure you search for Jake Sanson. Every motorsport he commentates on 
is at least 50% better than it otherwise would be. Yes, he is annoying on this podcast. We get it. I have to edit twice as long when he's on. But when he's swimming in the sea, he's a commentary fish. So search for Jake Sanson online. Chris Stevens, you are now a PR legend. How's it all going in, in that world? Oh, I'm loving the new job. It's it's just so, so great. But I've not stopped doing some journalism here and there. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris on Racing. I have a Facebook page as well now, Chris Stevens Motorsport, which is not very populated at the moment, but I'm getting around to that while I do my website. I'm, I'm um, going to admit to you, Chris, I let that Facebook invite drift on by because I, I assumed it wouldn't be well populated. But we'll look out for it. Uh, Nick, you say things about stuff you do and where you're at. Yes, uh, you can find me at whatsitaboutpodcast.com for my book discussion podcast, or you can follow me on the Twitters at NickAlexanderF1. And we also have uh, E-Radio Show, um, which is in full force at the moment because Formula E is is really going away and having lots of races in the build-up to the championship finale, which is coming up very soon in the next uh, couple of months. So check out E-Radio Show for me and Matt talking about uh, a great race from where, the race we've just been talking about from Monaco. Bit of a podcast network we're building here. E-Radio Show covers Formula E. Missed Apex W covers the new W series. And of course, Missed Apex F1 focuses on Formula One. We will be here at 8 p.m. after the Monaco Grand Prix to review the race. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Hit it, Bjorn. I like how you can tell that you actually really like Jake Sanson because you said that you were going to do twice the amount of editing, but it's actually four times as much and you just didn't want to hurt his feelings too much. I didn't want to hurt his feelings as much as I did pre-show. What I do with Jake to get all my frustration out of the way is I just yell at him for about 10 minutes and then I hit the live stream and I'm like, hi, everyone. Look, it's Jake's here. Jakey's here. person in the whole of the motorsport industry who I will tolerate you yelling at me. <laughs> Nobody else is allowed to get away with this in quite the way you are. Oh, and it's like... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.